According to the clock on the wall in front of me and behind you, I have one hour and 40 minutes to teach today. I was up all night preparing that amount of material. I heard some groans. I didn't hear any amens. <laughs> okay, come on in, folks. We're going to have a prayer, and we're going to begin. So we will make good use of the time that we do have. Gotcha. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of another Lord's Day. We thank you for your presence, your very presence comforts and heals us, makes us whole. Truly, Lord, we rejoice when you are with us, Emmanuel, a God who never leaves. Bless our study that our hearts and our hands and our lips would grow and bear fruit in your keeping. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have a very dear African-American lady friend who lives in Tuella, Utah, just outside of Salt Lake City. We became friends <clears throat> over 20 years ago when she came into the church that I was pastoring near Washington, D.C. Name is Cheryl. When Cheryl came into the church, she also came into Christ for the first time and she met the Lord. And like all of us who are coming into the Lord initially, she had her share of some old baggage that needed to be dealt with and it was my privilege to kind of be a bellboy, a bellhop for her, and make sure that baggage got taken to the right place. In the process of walking with her in her newness in Christ, we became fast friends. I remember clearly when her husband was transferred to uh, Dugway Proving Grounds in Dugway, Utah, and they were pulling away from our house after coming by to say goodbye for the last time. And Cheryl um, was, was pregnant with her second son, which she named Brian, poor guy, when he got here. And I, I remember feeling like, well, this is, this is something of an end of a really beautiful friendship. But little did I know that in the providence and provision of God, Miles made no difference whatsoever. Well, Cheryl turned into someone with a God-given sense of pathos for me in times of need. I would get a telephone call from Utah. Mr. Connor, what in the world is wrong over there? I cannot get a moment's peace when I think about you. And sure enough, she'd be right on in terms of something troubling in my spirit, something going on around me which I just couldn't quite process clearly at the time. And she would bring some encouraging word, some gesture of love and intercession for me, and so established a pattern of being an encourager with me across the miles 
that I gave her a nickname. I called her Barney. And I remember that we would talk on the phone, or this was actually as, as email was just now getting up and going, or she would write, and I would reply, Dear Barney. First time I did that, she wrote back, she said, Why are you calling me Barney? I said, Well, us southern white boys, we just like to nickname people. And besides, you're acting like Barnabas. And she says, Who's Barnabas? That Barnabas was a very fine man in the Bible who was an encourager. And he was such an encourager that his disciples gave him a nickname, and his nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And you are such an encourager to me, I'm just going to call you Barney. Well, after 20 some odd years, it is still Mr. Connor and Barney when she calls or when she emails, and she is still just as right on as she ever was with the timing of some word or some gesture of encouragement. Well, she had a, she had a good ancestor, a good spiritual ancestor in Joseph of Cyprus. <clears throat> that was his name. Barnabas was a nickname given to him by the disciples because of how he acted. He had a ministry of encouragement. So they called him son of encouragement or Barnabas. We actually have three little stories about him in our Bible and listed on your syllabus for today. <clears throat> in the first one, it was in the earliest days of the Christian church and Members of the church were living in community with one another and sharing everything that they had so that no one was in need. And Barnabas brings, uh, sells a piece of property and come and lays the, the profit from the property uh, at the feet, or whatever he got from the property, at the feet of the disciples. And it was noted by them there that that was an act of encouragement and example setting worthy to be remembered even today as we think about this man. In the second little story about Barnabas in this morning's scripture, uh, <clears throat> he is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and through his ministry and Paul's ministry, many have been led to the Lord. In fact, it was Barnabas who took the apostle Paul from Tarsus to Antioch and stayed with him for an entire year and it was there at Antioch that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were first called Christians. Well, Paul and Barnabas together were a part of that genesis, a part of that forming and shaping of the identity of <clears throat> people who followed after Jesus being known as Christians in, in public. And then the last story of Barnabas in our scripture is where Barnabas and Paul have gone together uh, <clears throat> in, into their missionary journeys, and they have healed a lame man, and the results of the public healing is such that everybody pours out from the city and surrounds Paul and Barnabas, and they believe that Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods which have become incarnated and come down in their presence. And so they have called Paul Hermes, and they have called Barnabas Zeus. Now that's interesting, 
that Barnabas is called Zeus, who is the chief god in Greek mythology, and they only call Paul Hermes. But nonetheless, there's this great outpouring, and they bring a bull to sacrifice, and they're going to worship Paul and Barnabas, and Paul stands up and says, no, 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 you cannot do this. We are but men. We are only representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So Barnabas has some good credentials. He's got an excellent resume for us to consider this morning when we look at this man whom the disciples nicknamed the son of encouragement, Barnabas. Now, last week, we considered the disciple John who had something of a ministry of presence. Barnabas now, I think, ratchets it up another notch. For not only is he always there for those who are hurting, but there is some gesture, there is some word, there is some kind of human interaction between Barnabas and others which cause him to be salt of the earth and light of the world. Let's think this morning a little bit about how the ministry of encouragement personified in the person of Barnabas, Joseph of Cyprus, is still alive and well in our world today. One dynamic that I would call attention to is something called the self-fulfilling prophecy. You know what the self-fulfilling prophecy is? Self-fulfilling prophecy is that we grow into the blessings or the curses by which we are blessed or cursed by significant others in our lives. For example, if I have a child who's struggling with math in school, and I say to that child, Honey, I just don't think you have any math aptitude at all. When you grow up, you better marry a man who can count the, your change at the grocery store because you're just never, ever going to get this. If I say that enough to my child, what's going to happen to my child? She's going to grow up into the curse by which she was cursed by a significant other, her father, in her life. But if I say to my child, honey, well, you only got three out of ten wrong on this, on this last, three out of ten right on this last mathematics test, but you know what? You're smart. And you can get this. Let's work on this together because I know that you can do it. What's going to happen? She will grow into the blessing by which a significant other in her life has blessed her. That is a true example. One of my daughters struggled greatly with mathematics in high school. And there were times in which I thought she is never going to finish high school. She just can't grasp this. But her mother and I made this decision to say to her, you're smart. You can do this. Let's work on it together. <clears throat> she finished high school in Maryland. Hot-footed it back down here to Charleston to go to college at Charleston. And her first semester of her freshman year, she made one A in <laughs> mathematics. So this business of <clears throat> blessing or cursing others really brings with it a powerful potential for encouragement. Now, can you imagine Barnabas who had a falling out with Paul over John Mark, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along on a missionary journey. And Paul didn't want Bar uh, John Mark along because John Mark had left them on an earlier journey and gone back home. So can you imagine this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas is saying, 
he's young, Paul. He made a mistake. He just needs a second chance. Let's guide him along. Let's help him with this. Paul, wanting a, pro- a, a proven veteran, a seasoned veteran to go along with him, chose Silas, went one way. Barnabas took John Mark and went another way because of this falling out between Barnabas and Paul. But Barnabas got John Mark. Where does Mark show up again in biblical history? Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John Mark wrote the first gospel. Now, it doesn't appear first in your your Bible. Matthew appears first, but John was the, the very first one written. And the outline of John Mark, the outline of Mark, was used by Matthew and then used again by Luke so that his ministry was tripled. Now, do you think Mark would have written the first gospel if it had not been for Barnabas saying, give him another chance, Paul. This young man can make it. This young man knows the Lord. This young man has the Holy Spirit. And so sharp was the division between Barnabas and Paul, they divided and went separate ways. John Mark winds up writing the very first gospel biography of Jesus that we have, outline of which is used for both Matthew and Luke. And at the end of Paul's years, and he is in prison, who does he call for? And send Mark, because he has been proven very useful to me. Ministry of encouragement in the self-fulfilling prophecy. It is a Christian thing. It is a word of God when we can say to someone, you can do this. God is with you. I am with you. You can be all that you feel God calling you to be, even though it's exhausting, even though it's dangerous, even though it's confusing, even though you don't know what it's going to cost you, you can do this. And every person to whom we say such a thing is a John Mark. And every time we say such a thing, we are a Barnabas, we are a son of encouragement. So a first application of this ministry of encouragement based on a remarkable story of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark. A second application that I can think of is that in the ministry of encouragement, the word spoken is almost always positive. In real life, it is a psychological fact that the negative is more powerful than the positive. I can guarantee you that after the service here this morning, as people were filing out and speaking to the preacher, if there were 20 of you who said, great sermon this morning, Pastor, you spoke to my heart. But one of you who said, boy, you just didn't have it this morning, Pastor. (laughs) I didn't get a thing out of what you said. What's he going to go home thinking about? The one. There have been many studies of small groups done to indicate that the power of a negative word is 
exponentially greater than the power of a positive word. Consequently, the positive word has to be spoken more often and by a greater number of people to offset the negative word. Ever served on a committee? Committees are, are freaks of nature, aren't they? they yeah. <laughs> a, a, a committee is, you know, you look at a camel and it's like a, a horse being designed by a committee. You know, it's very hard to, to, to ever get a committee of any real size going in the same direction where you're all of one heart and, and one mind. But if you've served on a committee, you probably can remember moments in which committee was just, I mean, really ready to move on, and then somebody says, I don't like it. And the brakes go on, and everything is brought to a screeching halt, and you take the next 45 minutes trying to undo the power of the negative word. Now, it seems to me that in the, power, in the, in the ministry of encouragement, there is that potential for someone who can gently, politely, repeatedly inject the positive which is being threatened by the negative, which is exactly the dynamic which was, was uh, evident in the relationship between Barnabas and John Mark and Barnabas and Paul. So when, when, when life threatens to shut down a person or to shut down the movement of God's spirit in a group setting, that person who will rise up and say, yes, we can. It looks bigger than what we can do, but that's what serving God is about anyway, isn't it? Who wants to do what we can do? Let's do what only God can do. Let's go beyond what we can do. Let's trust God and do what we can't do. So, first of all, is this, 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 this power of, uh, of self-fulfilling prophecy and the power of Overcoming the negative word. A third application of the ministry of encouragement is to provide perspective, biblical perspective, godly perspective. When we are upset, when we are challenged, when we are hurting, what's one of the first things we lose? Perspective. What happens? We go straight to the hurt. We go straight to the challenge. Again, I guess that's an extension of the power of the negative, where the negative just overwhelms us. And sometimes, just the simple putting an arm around a person's shoulder and saying, you know what? I'm not so sure things are as bad as you think they are. I'm here. You've got these friends who are here. God is here with you. Uh, you are not alone. We can do this together. It's not as dark. It's not as powerless. You're not as powerless as you think you are. Now listen, that doesn't take any special giftedness to do that. That's just being loving and it's being truthful. <clears throat> we get caught up in what's wrong so easily that we sometimes forget everything that is right 
you know, in, in my 30-something years of, of pastoring, I you know, sadly saw numerous people become so very upset about little things in churches. And it was simply a matter of perspective, of looking at the bigger picture, viewing life with a wider angle lens than with the telephoto lens, which is focused only on the challenge of the moment. Okay? A fourth application of the ministry of, um, <clears throat> of encouragement would be the, the act of personal example. It is true. It absolutely is true. The actions speak louder than words. It's interesting that there is no dialogue recorded in Scripture of who said anything at all when Barnabas sold that field and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Didn't say nobody said anything in Scripture. It, it was just an action. It wasn't a verbalization. He just came and he did it. And it must have been done at such a time as to greatly influence that early Christian community as it developed a sensitivity to everybody in, 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 in the church family, that it made its way into the scriptures. I mean, it made it into the Bible. So it must have been of great significance to that early church. Sometimes people worry too much about not being eloquent or not knowing how to frame their thoughts in words. And sometimes it seems like we need to give each other permission, <clears throat> just go do your thing quietly. You don't have to call attention to yourself. You don't have to stand up and make any explanation. You just go do your thing quietly. And as the Holy Spirit needs to reveal, to reveal what you are doing by way of example, the Holy Spirit will reveal it. You don't need any permission to do the right thing. But just quietly, in your own initiative, go about selling the field, putting the money at the disciples' feet, or whatever it is, and trust the Spirit of God to raise that up, maybe even just to one person or to a larger number, so that your ministry of encouragement will be built upon pilings of a ministry of example. This ministry of example thing was an important thing to the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Paul, uh, several times, said something like, as you have seen me do, you do also, and the God of peace will be with you. Remember? Think on all these wonderful things, and as you have, what you have received from me and seen me do, you do also. And that kind of doing where we impact other people by a lesson of example can be one of the most powerful nonverbal sermons ever preached. Another application of, of ministry of encouragement is simply to personify and incarnate the gospel of grace. There, there is a time for everyone when we bring some kind of shame with us to church. 
There is a time for all of us in which some sin or failure or inadequacy is used by the accuser of the brethren to make us feel dirty and guilty <clears throat> and sinful. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows exactly what buttons to push to make us feel dirty, to make us feel like we don't deserve to be here, to feel like we have let the Lord down and we really don't want to have to deal with him in the condition that we find ourselves. It is an act of tsunami proportion to speak grace to a person who is living in shame. God does not accuse you. You are not to accuse yourself. Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, after he had <clears throat> written in the sand and all of her accusers had disappeared. What did he write in the sand? <clears throat> they disappeared. The accusers of this woman caught of adultery left one by one, beginning with the oldest and going down to the, one, to the youngest. You know what I think he wrote? The name of a woman or a girl for each one of them. And they remembered a relationship and they left before it was disclosed. And then he said to this woman, does no one accuse you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. I cannot tell you how many times I have wrapped my arms around those words. Neither do I accuse you to get me past my own shame. If we can be the voice of non-condemnation, if we can be a reality reference for the Lord who does not judge us, who did not come into the world to judge the world, but by all who know him would be saved. If we can say, <clears throat> God knows and he doesn't accuse you and he don't want you to live in this shame. If you'll ask him, it is forgiven, it is forgotten, and it is no more. That is a dynamic which frequently expresses itself in a ministry of encouragement. And I can imagine <clears throat> that there were those moments between Barnabas and young John Mark in which maybe they discussed Mark bailing on Paul in their earlier journey. And I can imagine that maybe John Mark, <clears throat> apparently being the fine young man that he was, carried a little guilt or a sense of failure about that. And I can just hear Barney say, hey man, we all make mistakes. Don't let it worry anymore. It's over. It's done with. God knows. 
Paul will come around anyway. Just give him a little bit of time. And it did. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So this matter of extending grace to people who are drowning in guilt from their own failure and sin. Thank you. Um, would be a part of a ministry of encouragement. Now, last week we talked about the Apostle John. And we noted that, that John had a real ministry of presence. Now, that can also be a gift of encouragement. You don't know what to say? We'll just hang out and don't say anything. Um, another person who is with you divides the sorrow. Another person who is with you multiplies the joy. It is win-win. But when we are alone in times of sorrow, when we are alone in times of joy, it's almost like a flower bud which wants to open up the rest of the way and quite can't quite reach its full potential. There is a way in which we shepherd each other, we garden each other, we bring out the best in each other, we divide the sorrow and the pain of each other, we multiply the joy in each other simply by hanging around. Which means we don't have to be psychiatrists, we don't have to be psychologists, we don't have to be theologians, we don't have to be eloquent, we don't have to be good with words, we don't have to have answers, we don't have to fix it. But being in the same room non-verbally sends a powerful message. I care enough about you to be here with you during this time. You may never express that in words, but you will express it in your presence. Barnabas chose John Mark and went his way, and the presence of this man who was called Zeus by those who were into Greek mythology. He must have been a powerful personality. Paul was only called Hermes. They called Barnabas Zeus. But John Mark has the, 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 the ordination and the imprimatur and the sanction and the blessing of a man who cared enough about him to be with him as a team member. And look what happened to John Mark, whose name is born now by the earliest gospel in the New Testament. Now, <clears throat> another example, the ministry of encouragement. You didn't realize this one was so big, did you? It's just your own story. You are the world's expert on you. Your story is the authorized, autobiographical notation of your life. Your spouse can't tell your story like you can. 
Your parents can't tell your story like you can. Your children can't tell your story like you can. There is nobody in this world who is a greater expert on you than you. And so, when there is someone who is struggling in perhaps some way similar to how you have struggled, and you get to say something like, well, I, I know my, my, my journey is not exactly the same as yours, but I kind of know a little bit about how you feel because something similar happened to me, and this is what it was, and God got me through it, and he can get you through it too. Then you have just done one of the most powerful things that can be done in a court of law. Eyewitness testimony. Most powerful thing. Eyewitness testimony. I am an eyewitness to me. And I can offer some powerful testimony about how God interacts with us because I've been there, done that. So this is just a little snippet of who I am for whatever it may be worth to you. Now what does that do to a person who is struggling? What does that do to maybe a person who's all alone in a moment of great joy? What does that do? It divides sorrow. It multiplies joy because it says, well, he said it happened to him, so I guess it really can happen to me too. And I'm not so weird after all. I'm not a lone ranger out here. I'm a part of a community of faith. I'm on a journey and a lot of other people are on the same road that I'm on. Because in this ministry of encouragement, someone has cared enough to step out and say, this happened to me, and if it happened to me, it can happen to you too. Now the last thing. In the ministry of encouragement, we are sometimes caretakers of personal worth. Sometimes, when I'm weak and tired, you know who I am? I am who you think I am. No, I am what I think you think I am. Let me say that again. I, and when I'm tired, exhausted, hurting, I don't have a whole lot of self-actualization going on. You know, my ego is just out somewhere. I am what I think you think I am. And your eyes become mirrors of my self-worth. And I am looking for some kindness from somebody. I am looking for someone who thinks I am worthy. And you're it. And if somebody doesn't speak up and say, you are good, you have value. I'm not going to get it for that day because I don't have it within me to bless myself. When I was pastoring that church in Maryland, we had a very bad thing happen and there was a division and a number of families uh, left. And it just like killed me. I, I took it personally. Yeah. 
every pastor is like this. Every shepherd feels responsible for the sheep. And any pastor will tell you, if you had that happen, people leave mad. You take it personally. Well, it, I, I took it very, very personally. I went into a depression. It just, like, just killed me. In fact, when I got the word of what was happening, I was off on a fishing trip with some of my church buddies. And we had rented a little place at uh, Outer Banks. And uh, the word came, and I, I went to bed. Stayed in bed all day long, could not raise my head. It hurt so bad. And, and one kindly old buddy of mine, uh, when everybody else went out on the beach, he just stayed behind. I finally got out of the bed and walked out of the room, and there he was sitting there. He said, Jim, what are you doing here? And I just thought maybe you needed a friend. Stayed around. And he gave me back some of my self-worth. But not long after all this, things had calmed down, but I was still hurting deeply, more deeply than I realized. Um, we had Brennan Manning come to our church. The name mean anything there? Roman Catholic priest, best Catholic preacher I've ever heard. I upset a lot of people inviting a Roman Catholic priest to come do a revival at my church, but I did it. And, uh, and, and boy, when he got there and he got in that pulpit, they couldn't wait to buy up his tapes and his books and everything. And, 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 I, and I had the blessing of, of, of just time alone with this man. Just, just me and Brendan Manning. And he's pretty sharp. And he sensed that I was hurting. Invited me to kind of let, let him know what was going on. And I did. You know what he did? I'd go to the motel and pick him up. <clears throat> and uh, he'd get in the car and he'd look at me and the first thing he'd say was, I like you. Take him back to the motel after the service. He'd get out the car. He'd look at me and says, I like you. Walk away. And for the rest of the time he was with me, he opened and he closed every interaction with me with those words. I like you. And he hit the nail on the head because I was feeling the rejection of people leaving my church and I was responsible for that. And I was really down on me. And this godly man who has walked his own journey of sorrow and loss did wonders for my hurting psyche with three little words repeated over and over with, during his visit with us, simply, I like you. That is the ministry of encouragement. And it's not complicated. It is so easy. You just got to care. And if you really care, it's going to shine through. You don't need sophisticated anything. Just care. And in your presence... And in your simple, humble words, speak value to someone who is searching for self-value and turn you into a Barney. Barnabas, originally Joseph of Cyprus, given a nickname to describe his ministry. Son of encouragement. You know something about that ministry? It's not an exclusive club. 
There's not a soul in this room who can't join and do it. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I bless you each and all with the ministry of encouragement. Amen.